You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. Wayne, yeah, I often say when I start these conversations, I thought of you on this particular day, but I thought of you yesterday. Carnage on the, well, it started really with the oil price after the Chinese data, and then it went through throughout the commodities. And of course, the JSC got walloped. Resources index down 4.5%. Maybe that's the last thing. Maybe it's been a flush out. And all the sellers have now gone. I hope so. It was certainly disappointing because those shares, the commodity shares, did very well post the Federal Reserve Bank uh, meeting discussion. Yes. You know, they had quite a nice rally. And then they gave it all back, unfortunately, because of comments made by other federal governors that, you know, maybe we are not at the end of interest rates. But I suppose... That's reasonably normal, for if normal's a word, for any big turn in the cycle. So when you're at an inflection point, yes, you know you get a lot of volatility. You know, either at the bottom of the cycle or at the top of the cycle, you get a lot of volatility. But at least the market has recovered a little bit this afternoon. It was sort of like flattish in the morning. I mean, even though it's all industrials, but that's also fine. Hmm. You know, AVI is up, NASPAS is up, ShopRite, Bitcorp is up. So it's all South African shares that are up. And then the platinum shares and the gold shares and mining shares down again. But, you know, when you look at, let's take let's take Amplats as a good example here. Okay. Um, I'm just calling up the data quickly. Hang on a second. While you do that, what you said about an inflection point actually resonates with me because I used to work with a chap who'd been in the commodities business for ages. And he said, when you get a lot of volatility, either at a very elevated level or a very depressed level, and it keeps on going, sometimes it means that people don't really know what to do. And the last towel has been thrown into the ring and on the downside, and then it starts to build again. So it sort of concurs with what you just said. Because when you look at when you look at Angler Platts now, I mean, just some perspective, mm. um, it's now as low as what it was, more or less during COVID. So in the actual global, full-on global recession that we had because of the globe because of COVID, the share price is more or less the same level. It's about forty rand higher than what it was. Hmm. Okay, that's an interesting perspective to take. Yeah. Of two thousand two hundred. To 640, you know. So this is a very, very normal cycle. You know, these shares either go up massively or fall massively. But you know, the economic outlook now surely must be better than the economic outlook that was present during the height of of, of COVID. And then also in the last, I don't know, the last three months, four months or so, the share price has been hovering between, let's call it 600 and 700. No, it's had some massive up days and then some big down days, but it seems to be in that type of range. Yes. And that just might be, I don't know, some sort of bottoming out, I don't know, hopefully some sort of bottoming out of the actual share price. Because, uh, mm-hmm. you, know, the, you know, I still maintain that these shares on a longer term view are truly dirt cheap. 
Yeah, and you've always said that. If you may buy too soon and you, you lose, um, or don't lose, because you haven't taken your losses 10, 15, 20%, but then in five years' time, you'll be sitting pretty. And the, the one thing about yesterday, which I found encouraging, Wayne, every cloud has a silver lining, is the fact that the oil price went down to its lowest level since July. And, and that will boost bond prices, not yields. Yields will come down because people will say, you know, this is, this is disinflationary. Well, there's certainly less inflation. There's certainly exactly. less inflation pressures. Exactly. Because, so, you know, when you look at, when you look at uh, oil is very interesting. Hmm. Um, let's take a three-year. Now, three years is probably not a right chart. Let's take a five-year chart, yeah? yeah? I mean, pre-COVID, it sort of sat, you know, between, let's call it 55 and 70, 75. Okay. It sort of like sat there for about a year and a half. Then it had the big collapse from COVID. Then it went back to the sort of 60, 70 level. Then it had that enormous surge on the back of strong demand up to 115, 110, 115. Then it came back down into the 70s, you know, and, and it sat in the 70s for a long time. But then all of a sudden, it did that big spurt very recently, you know, starting in about June, where it went up and it looked as it was going to 100, it got to 95. But now, as you said, it's back all the way to 81. So that does take some inflation pressure off. Because certainly, given what the RAND, even though the RAND's a little bit weaker today at 18.50, but even at 18.50, at $81 a barrel, we'll see another price reduction at the pumps uh, next month again. And you know, that that helps enormously with the inflation numbers, the year-on-year change in the, in the oil price, because the year-on-year change in the oil price in dollar terms now is 14%, which is which is quite material. And obviously, the RAND on, on a one-year basis takes away uh, three or four percent of that because the rand on the one year basis has weakened three percent, but you know, oil's still down 14, so we're still getting a 10 percent drop in the rand price of oil on a year on year basis, which is quite good for the inflation number coming out. So, I also think we've seen hopefully the last of our interest rate increases. Do you ever find that when you get a big move like you did on the resources index yesterday, four and a half percent in the red? Do you feel that's people giving up? As I said in my introduction, but I want to get your opinion. Do you think that people just chuck it in? I mean, they're, it's a relatively small index in global terms. And people just say, well, you know, right, I, don't, no, it's I, very don't, small. I don't want South African resources stocks. Just get rid of it and let's look somewhere else. Do you ever find that? And could yesterday have been the day? Yeah, look, people, people can do that. But I mean, you know, last week, it actually went up last week more than what it fell. Oh, okay. Yesterday. You know, so it went, the index itself went from, call it 54,000 to 57,000, and now it's back at 55,000. So it didn't even give back the, the gains it made from the start of the month. But of course, the two moves are actually identical, even though completely opposite. People were scrambling to get in to these shares for three or four days, yeah. and then they scrambled like mad to get out again. You know, as I've said a couple of times now, to me, this is, I don't know, hopefully some sort of inflection point. When I look at the at the mining, at the resource index, um, it's been bouncing for three years now. Whenever it gets down to that 50,000, it bounces. 
Yeah. You know, it, there seems to be some sort of resistance level at this 50,000 odd. So whenever it gets close to that, it goes up again. And of course, when you look at, uh, well, let's not pick Anglo Platts because that's more volatile. Let's take Anglo American. You know, it's sitting now at 480, it peaked at 800. So it's, it's just, well, more or less, not quite half, but more or less halved. But this is as low as what it's got almost post-COVID, you know? Yeah, and that's an encouraging sign. I, so, don't, yeah. I, I don't know if you're a chartist. You may be an amateur chartist just for a sort of archaeological record of what something like Anglo-American PLC has done. But when you look at a graph, you get a feel of what's going on. It looks like a big double bottom on, on things like Anglos and the Resources Index. It's come down there. It's rallied up, like you said last week. It's coming down there again. And maybe up we go from here. That volatility, that churning, as people say, that you were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah, it seems to be it seems to be the case, but I mean, we'll only know post the post the fact. But you know, once again, to come back to a theme we've been discussing so often, yes. what the mining shares are doing now is absolutely normal. You don't know where the bottom is. That's an that's an unknown. But the fact that they've halved and collapsing is actually incredibly normal because we're in a period of high inflation with high interest rates and slowing global growth and slowing growth in China. So a lot of people seem to think that, you know, mining shares are doing something abnormal and not they're doing something completely normal. They are going down in a period of high inflation and high interest rates and exactly the same with the RAND. The RAND, the RAND collapses during a period of high inflation and high interest rates. So whenever I talk to investors and give presentations in the in the last long while, in fact, I've essentially just talked cycles. I've just said, understand where you are in the cycle before you make an investment decision. Because, and the RAND is the best example there um, to use. When the RAND goes to 19, 19 and a half, 18 and a half, people panic, it's all over. You know, it's finished. The RAND's never going to recover. I must take all of my money overseas now at this exchange rate because <laughs> the next stop is 21 against the dollar. Mm. And I try and explain that understand where you are in the cycle before you make that, that decision on the RAND. You know, same as, and it's not, it's not actually all that long ago. You know, it, it seems hard to believe it, but it's not all that long ago when the RAND was trading at 13.20. Now, no one wanted to take their money overseas then, but that was during extremely strong economic growth worldwide in the low interest rate, low inflationary environment. And the RAND should be strong there. Then you must take your money overseas. You know, that's when you must take it overseas. You know, then the RAND collapsed with COVID and got to call it 19. Then everyone panicked again. Everyone's, you know, the world's over and took their money overseas. You know, the next stop on the RAND was 1350. So, sorry, not 1330. 1350 was the strongest it got. You know, then you must take your money overseas. And now it's gone from 1350 to 1850. And it's doing exactly what it should do. And the point is, you mustn't panic when this happens. But people panic. I mean, we are all of us human. And people panic and they take their money overseas at in, in the, the wrong time. So as I've said, in my last many presentations now for months and that, 
I've just been emphasizing the cycle, the RAND, the commodity shares, the interest rate cycle, the bond cycle. I mean, people, lots of people were buying U.S. bonds at 1%, you know, the 10-year bond at 1%. Now it's at 5%, they're getting caned, you know, they've got a proper hiding. But now they don't want to buy, whereas at 5%, it's incredibly good value over the longer term. You know, because inflation's not staying at 5 in the U.S. It's going back to 2, 3, wherever, but it's going back to that level because the Federal Reserve will do whatever is necessary to get it back to that level. So, you know, you can, as a, as a dollar investor, you know, you can lock in 3% real for a sustained time period, which is just fantastic, you know, for a relatively, well, a is is it? It's not triple A anymore, is it? It's double A plus. Double A plus, yes. Mm. Yeah, for a double A plus investment to get three percent real, that's fantastic. But no one wants to buy it now because they've been caned. You know, the return is so negative over a one year period or a one and a half year period, however long it's done the reversal. I just can't remember now. And so, you know, you've got to understand where you are in the cycle. Like so our, our stock market, our stock market as a whole is dramatically undervalued. You know, there's there's potential upside in the next two or three years of, I don't know, call it 30%. You're hanging your hat on, on, on that number, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, and it should be cheap. It should be cheap at the bottom of a commodity cycle. That's when it is cheap. Going back so to- you should be buying it now. I mean, the the the... The, the the return that return profile is dominated by mining shares. I mean, it's not you know the the other the other non-mining shares add to that return profile, but it's really just the mining shares. So you know, it's coming back to the same argument about the commodity cycle. The big one that you talked <laughs> about. You, you talked about the U.S. ten-year bond, and you said that at one stage. Well, I I I seem to remember it going to point six five percent. 0.65%, and, and it went to 5% yeah. around about 10 days ago, I think it was. It's now back in the yeah. in the mid-450s. So in the last couple of weeks, yeah. if you'd have bought bonds at the top, which nobody ever does, the yields at the top, you would have made, I don't know, 8 to 10% across the U.S. Yeah, Treasury. You made a nice, nice capital. That's a huge nice amount. Nice capital gain there, yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm. But, uh, you know, the, the problem is really that – and and I, I obviously know about this, and I also obviously feel it. Is when you look back with hindsight, and you say, "Oh, this was a buying opportunity." Yeah, look at the graph. Look at where it went to. But when you're in that transition phase and you're buying the shares and they keep falling, you take pain every single day. And it depends on your, I don't know, your fortitude whether. Whether, whether you can take it or not. The same as a person who knows the RAND's undervalued, but they want to take their money overseas because they're worried about the value of the RAND. And they say, no, I'm not taking it over at 1750 because the RAND is undervalued. Then it goes to 18, then it goes to 1850, then it goes to 19, then it goes to 1950 on the back of the Lady R and all, all of these things. <laughs> And sometimes you just give up. You just say, this time it's different. The the normal cyclical rules don't apply this time around. 
which is and course, that's when people panic and they make mistakes. Yeah, sometimes it works, but not with a commodity currency. I don't know what the mean is now. What's your target on the Rand, Wayne? You've always been very good at that. It's about 1650. 1650, okay. 200, uh, 200 know, basis points. Yeah. yeah. If you take the Rand over a five year time period, hmm. the movement has gone from overvalued to undervalued. And that movement is 30%. So in other words, you're now comparing the RAND from a strong point to a weak point, And over a five years, it's fallen by 30%. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's quite substantial, but that's from the bottom of the cycle to the top of the cycle. In other words, as I said, from the strong point to the weak point. However, compared to the US dollar, you could have bought, you could have invested your money in SA RANDs and earned over a five-year time period, a 50% interest. And then you've got 10% a year for five years. Okay, you would have paid tax. Let's just ignore tax for the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and, and the capital value of the SA bonds haven't altered all that much. So you haven't made much of a capital loss at all compared to owning US bonds where you got 06 or 1% and you've taken an absolute beating on the capital value. So despite the rand despite the rand having gone from a strong point to a weak point, ignoring tax, SA bonds have outperformed US bonds in the last five years quite dramatically. And if you ignore the bond market, if you just put your money in the bank and earned interest, you would have made forty percent in rands and in interest and lost thirty percent on the capital value of your so you've still been ten percent ahead. And you haven't earned 10% compound interest in a U.S. dollar deposit over the last five years. More than five, but anyway. Yeah. Wayne, yeah. okay, so you're sticking to so your you guns. Know, so, 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 yeah. Well, that's all I need to know. That's good. And just tell me something. Are you frozen in the headlights or are you still nibbling away at the commodities market, the resources on, on, on the JSE? We're still buying that. Very good. Okay, you're averaging down, which is a good thing. And in five years' time, you'll be smoking a cigar with a bottle of champagne in the back of a limo or something. Yeah, very good. Okay. This no, is definitely, definitely, definitely not smoking a cigar. Cigars are absolutely awful, to be honest. And I do smoke. Yeah, I know you do. But I find the cigar pungent. It's, it's too rich. It's, uh, I've, 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 I've smoked incredibly few cigars in my life, but it's, it's not a treat, eh? No, it's, I don't, I I don't get one. it. The whole thing about smoking yeah. a cigarette is you take it all into your lungs, you blow it out, and something happens, I don't know. But you don't with a cigar. It just stays in your mouth and you blow it away. Yeah. I think it's just a status symbol. I can remember in the old, old days when Julian, Julian Ogilvy Thompson was the MD of De Beers, mm-hmm. Anglo-American, and we went to the long room at 44 Main Street. We were invited to nice. lunch there. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the guy's name now, but it's I'll, maybe I'll think of it before the end of the conversation. But he was the deputy chairman of Anglo-American. He was a, a Welsh or an Irish guy who didn't have a matric. He started out in the mines and he came out to Lesboid, Leslie Boyd, and he was a fantastic man. I mean, truly a fantastic man. He he, he, I admired him enormously. He was also the chairman of the old AMIC. And after the lunch, they served us rare roast beef. Mm-hmm. And when I say rare, mm. it was rare. 
it, it was properly rare. And then after the lunch, uh, Julian Ogilvy Thompson just popped in and popped out. He didn't stay to talk to people. He was in and out, gone. He ate lunch, cheers, two or three questions, gone. But our Les Boyd stayed with us, you know, after the after the lunch to have a bit of, you know, social discussions. And the, he brought out a cigar box of the Cubana there. Yeah. And two things happened. One thing is one chap, one chap who was with us from, from our company, from R&B Asset Management, he was a little bit from the, he had just come up from the sugarcane farms in Natal. And he didn't quite know this whole etiquette. And I said, listen, if you take one, don't put it in your pocket and take it home. If you take one, you're going to smoke. You've got to smoke it. <laughs> He's not giving you a present. You've got to smoke it. And the second thing is I didn't take one because I knew how long it takes to smoke one of those things and how absolutely awful it is. But, yeah, it was very – in the old days, this was early 90s, you know, 44 Main Street was truly something it's before they moved to London. I remember that, yeah. And I remember Amic as well. What happened to Amic? That's Anglo-American Industrial Corporation, right? Industrial Corporation. Remember they had score metals, they had high-felt steel, they had uh, the refractory business. It's all been sold. Of course. They divested that that whole thing, yeah. Mm. And, uh, uh, you know, at 44 Main Street, they still had polished brass spittoons in the corridors. But they weren't used, of course. No, um, well, I hope not. And uh, we, when we went to lunch there, all of the all of the waiters serving us had a red fez on with the black tassel. A fez with the black tassel. Yes, I know. Okay. I know what you. I, I know a what fez. you mean. But why? With the like we in Morocco. Yes, it's fez like a North African uh, lunch. Yeah. And everyone. Every guy from Anglo-American, let's say there were eight of them there from Anglo-American and maybe eight of us or ten of us, they all ordered Bloody Marys for at lunchtime, a Bloody Mary with Worcester sauce in. And I thought this is a bit strange until Julian Ogilvy Thompson wafted in there with five people running behind him. And guess what drink he ordered? Go on. A Bloody Mary with Worcester sauce. Of course, you have to. This is the this way is to make a Bloody a Mary, Wayne. And it, don't worry about it being lunchtime. Yeah, a Bloody is Mary is best as, as your first thing. drink of the morning. Okay. You have to have yeah. a good Russian vodka, like a Stolichnaya or something like that. You can use an absolute from Finland now, over some ice. Then you put in, and this is the, the key point here, you put in a tot of dry sherry and add that to the vodka. Then, of course, you have have to have your celery salt, and a little squeeze of lemon, then pour in the beautiful tomato juice and a stick of celery to stir the thing up. It's a fine drink, Wayne. Yeah. Uh, when I went to I went to Russia and into St. Petersburg. I've been to St. Petersburg and Moscow, and they're both fantastic places, truly nice places to visit as a tourist. But and I went there in summer. But whenever you walked into like a tourist trap, a tourist shop, or a, a tourist restaurant, stuff like that, mm. you were offered vodka. Of course. If it was breakfast or lunch, it didn't matter. You were offered vodka. Now, now I did have a good look at the bottle, and it was a low alcohol percentage vodka. So it was more like fortified wine. So it was probably, I don't know, 8 10% alcohol. It wasn't, you know, like spirit is normally, I don't know, 30% alcohol. More. Yeah, but go on. And in crazy things like straw rum or 80% alcohol. But wherever you went in Russia, into any shop anywhere, you got 
offered the vodka. Eight o'clock in the morning or lunchtime or four in the afternoon didn't matter. Rushing, you were offered the vodka. I'm writing Russia down on my list of places to go after you've said all that once the war no, is over. No, it's fantastic. The, 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 the tourist attractions in St. Petersburg, I mean, truly uh, Peter the Great tried to recreate Venice and uh, Versailles and Paris and all the capitals of the world he tried to recreate in St. Petersburg. I mean, he built a canal system so that he could emulate Venice. Of course, it doesn't matter. It freezes over four months of the year, but that didn't seem to occur to him. But they had a canal system with gondolas. They still got gondolas there. You can take a gondola trip because he wanted to look part of it to look like Venice. But when you go and see the palaces and the churches and all the old historic buildings and the sites, I mean, it is it is truly phenomenal. Yeah, it was a very rich now, country. Like, well, I don't know if the country was rich, but he certainly spent a hell of a lot of money <laughs> on that lot. Yeah. Well, and, then, and then you go to Moscow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say... And you um, go into Red Square. Yeah. You go into Red Square and you just realise all the history that happened right there. No, it, 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 I, I loved it. And Very the good. car was good. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, well, we'd, uh, I, we've run out of time, so I'm not going to ask you what, uh, what I was going to ask you, but I want you to think about it over the next week or couple of weeks, your Christmas lunch. What are you going to do? Oh, yes. Uh, You've spoke about uh, rare, uh, red, red, uh, rare and really red beef about the Julian Ogilvy Thompson luncheon. But is it good? would it be duck or goose or turkey or no, 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 prawns look, we, or what? No, we can, we, can, we can discuss this next week. Next week, yeah, but, but it has to be a proper discussion. Is, yeah. yeah, no, proper discussion. All I know is we are staying at home. Quite right, too. And no one is joining us. Oh, gosh. I mean, that, it's that, going that's to my be ultimate. fantastic. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic. Okay. We'll elaborate on your plans. So we actually, we actually might invite, we might invite two of our, one, 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 one couple along to our, to our lunch. But no, you've spoiled but it it's now. Not, we're not going, we're not going anywhere. Quite right, too. It's the worst time to go out. Wayne, thank you very much for your lovely stories and also your insight into the market. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.